Welcome to the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast, a weekly look at the latest news in Louisiana agriculture. Coming up, we'll have a look at this week's Louisiana Ag News headlines. We'll look inside the markets with commentary from experts at the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association. We'll check out the latest happenings at the state capitol and in Washington, D.C. in our grassroots government segment. And we'll hear from one of you as we take you to the fields and pastures of the Bayou State and find out the latest in crop and cattle conditions. All of this and more coming up on this week's podcast. Now, here's the host of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast, Kerry Martin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 20 of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Kerry Martin. We've got another packed podcast for you today, and we kick it off with news headlines. We'll hear from Louisiana Commissioner of Agriculture and Forestry Mike Strain about the two boll weevils that were found over in Mississippi and the measures that he and other ag officials in our state are taking to keep it out of Louisiana. We'll also hear from Louisiana Farm Service Agency Director Craig McCain about two programs that he's very busy with right now, the Livestock Forage Program and the Cottonseed Program. He'll give us an update on both of those programs and how they're helping Louisiana agricultural producers. We'll also hear about a virus that's hurting our crawfish here in Louisiana, and we'll have an update on the Louisiana sweet potato crop. All of that and more coming up in news headlines. In grassroots government this week, we check in with Louisiana Congressman Garrett Graves. We caught up with Congressman Graves a couple of weeks ago at the meeting where Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue was visiting with Louisiana farmers. Congressman Graves will give us his take on Secretary Perdue's visit as well as other agricultural issues that he's working on in Washington, D.C. We'll go in the field this week to Evangeline Parish to visit with Richard Fontenot. Richard is a soybean, rice, and crawfish farmer there. And unfortunately, this is one of those interviews I hate doing because we talked to Richard about what a disaster his soybean crop has turned out to be this year. But he'll give us an update on how bad things are and what he's doing to try to cope and get through this rough spot so that he'll be back again to farm next year. We'll have our regular market analysts check in with us, Dave Foster and Greg Fox, with a look at the cattle and grain markets, then wrap it up with a look at the Louisiana Ag Calendar. All of that coming up on Episode 20 of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast, and we kick it all off right now. a look at the latest news headlines in Louisiana agriculture on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Bull weevils have been found in Mississippi, and that has Louisiana officials on high alert. Louisiana Commissioner of Agriculture and Forestry, Mike Strain. We have found uh, two Mexican-based bull weevils in Mississippi. And so we found those, and let's talk about that. And again, we need to be really on alert uh, there. Uh, where it comes from, according to the article, it says it's still a mystery. Uh, they were taken to the director of the Mississippi Entomological uh, Museum, Mississippi State, for official uh, 
identification, and they are two Mexican boll weevils. And, of course, when you start looking and talking about why it's so important, these boll weevils can overwinter in ground trash. They can also hitch a ride on equipment, logs, or even, quote, blown across state lines. And remember, we have been pushing the boll weevil to get it down below the Rio Grande. And, of course, it's very important. Scouts continue to check the traps uh, where they were found. Uh, and we do believe that uh, they came in on some equipment. And that's kind of, you know, where, how we think it came in. And so, of course, you know, steps, be vigilant. Check your fields. Make, and look for signs of weevils. We have intensified our weevil uh, checking program. We're also very much actively checking equipment, all equipment, whether it's coming from wherever. Make sure it is clean and free of dirt. Strain says Louisiana has spent over $150 million eradicating the boll weevil, and they're taking necessary steps to make sure it stays out of our state. The regulated materials, gin trash, seed cotton, cotton plants, bowls, used cotton equipment, any products, that can convey the bow weevil, and especially when you're coming from those areas of Texas where we still uh, understand uh, that it, it may still be prevalent or down by the Rio Grande. So, again, we are ramping up our efforts. Uh, we are maintaining trap lines, and, of course, now we are maintaining them along I-49 and I-20 corridors in North Louisiana. We're placing them near the truck stops and DOTD scale houses, and, of course, uh, we are narrowing the distance between traps, and we have uh, verified and inspected and fumigated 13 cotton pickers and a tractor coming from Louisiana from Texas, and we will be doing that uh, and also intensifying, I guess, over the next few weeks. We have not found any more bow weevil than those two in Mississippi, and hopefully those are just ones that came off of equipment and they were attracted by those pheromone traps. The last bow weevil captured in Louisiana occurred in May of 2010. Louisiana Commissioner of Agriculture and Forestry, Dr. Mike Strain. A virus is killing large crawfish in Louisiana, and researchers so far are stymied in their efforts to fight it. Don Molino has more on that story. Dr. Christopher Green with the LSU School of Renewable Natural Resources says the white spot syndrome virus affects both shrimp and crawfish. White spot syndrome virus was first uh, officially recognized in 2007 by John Hawk at the LSU Vet School. Since then, it's been documented in uh, numerous waterways, both natural ways like the Chafalaya Basin, as well as within uh, farmed crawfish ponds. Dr. John Hawk with the LSU Vet School, who discovered the virus, says nothing can be done now to prevent the virus. It's typical of all virus diseases. There's no antibiotic, there's no real treatment that you could uh, apply to the pond or to the crawfish to cure them. So then it becomes more of a management issue. How do they manage the ponds to lessen the impact of the virus or maybe even the spread of the virus? Because right now we don't know a lot of details about how it does get spread around and why certain ponds are affected and others not. There's just a lot of unanswered questions that we feel like need to be addressed through research. I asked Dr. Hawk how the white spot syndrome virus affects crawfish and shrimp. It actually gets into um, all their organ systems and just causes an uh, overall organ failure in the animal. Uh, the curious thing about it that we still don't understand is why it attacks the larger, more robust animals. You know, the small crawfish don't seem to be affected as much. 
We had a case from farm over in St. Martinville in that area where there were large numbers of crawfish dying. They were going into the traps and dying. They were dying in the ponds. They sent the samples to the vet school for us to do the diagnostic work, and we discovered that they were infected with a virus, which we later were able to determine that it's the same white spot virus that infects shrimp. Dr. Green says the virus was first discovered in Louisiana crawfish ponds late in the 20th century. White spot syndrome virus uh, was originally identified around 20-25 years ago between China and Southeast Asia. And because of shrimp culture, intensive shrimp culture uh, around the world, even in Asia, South America, uh, even parts of Texas, it spread as those, you know, as those resource animals for, you know, shrimp production have been, you know, transported different places. It's generally believed, although not 100% positive that it might have shown up uh, in our waterways, maybe by shrimp that might have been imported from one of these countries in South America or in Asia that might have had those animals frozen uh, and the virus still viable after thawing. And Dr. Hawk says they need to find the trigger that causes the virus outbreak. Yeah, usually the mortality is, uh, has a very rapid onset where you're, you know, you're harvesting, you're, you're getting crawfish out of the pond. And then very suddenly you start seeing large numbers that are floating up and being wind blown over to the shore. You may have <clears throat> crawfish that are going into the traps and then dying in the traps. And uh, most of the producers that I have talked with last year and this year tell me that when it hits, <clears throat> they'll lose approximately 70% of their production almost overnight, and then they just have to shut down their operations. I'm Don Molino on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. The 2018 Louisiana sweet potato harvest is moving forward, and so far, it's been a good harvest year. Yields, we're hearing some uh, extra good yields, and then some others saying where they're off slightly from where they were last year, but it's still decent yields. That's LSU Ag Center sweet potato specialist Merle Sistrunk. He says that one concern in the sweet potato industry is the drop in acreage this year. Last year we had about 9,200 acres. This year, according to reports, we got about 7,700 acres. And that's attributed some to some growers cutting some acreage back and some retirements. Sweet potato harvest is now 56% complete in Louisiana, according to the latest Louisiana Crop Progress and Condition Report. The crop is rated 60% good, 36% fair, and 4% poor. Very dry weather this summer in northwest Louisiana has caused several parishes to be eligible for USDA's Livestock Forage Program. Craig McCain is state director of the Farm Service Agency. Well, you know, certainly every year is different, and um, it seems that uh, northwest Louisiana in recent years has had its share of of problems, and this year was no different. We started out with an early drought, and that drought intensified and and continued through our summer months, and uh, thank goodness they have received some beneficial rainfall. But in the process of of seeing those drought designations and, and the intensity to which it reached, uh, there were numerous parishes, I uh, think 10 or 11 parishes in northwest Louisiana who qualified for the livestock forage program. The trigger there is a D2 uh, drought uh, index uh, indication for at least eight weeks or D3 for one day. And so uh, we had several parishes qualify. Uh, producers in those parishes uh, need to recognize that January 30th, 2019 is the deadline for applying for benefits. 
But there's an even more important deadline of November 15th, 2018. If producers have not made a 2018 acreage report on their pastures or their grazing lands, that is the final date for them to do so. And if they try to do so after that date, at this point, FSA has no authority to accept it. So if you're interested in that program, uh, it provides assistance based on the feed loss, the forage lost, uh, due to the fact that the grass and the forage that was for grazing was damaged by the drought. If you're interested in assistance, I'd encourage livestock producers to contact their local FSA office, get information on the program, and find out exactly what their circumstances are. McCain says his office is also very busy with sign-up for the cottonseed program. Well, you know, the cottonseed program has been under been uh, underway since August the 4th, I believe, and the deadline for completing all actions associated with the cottonseed program is December 7th. So we've seen a lot of activity in the past several weeks, but certainly not enough to make me comfortable or our staff comfortable with our progress at this point. Uh, we're only somewhere in about the 30% range relative to uh, converting all the generic base over to seed cotton base. And so there's a lot of work left to do, a lot of activity. Uh, that will be required in our county offices that do have generic base in the next few weeks. So December 7th is a really important date. Well, farmers uh, and or landowners who have farms or interest in farms, or I should say who had interest in 2018 on a farm that had generic base, uh, need to uh, be aware of this opportunity to convert generic base. They need to contact their local office and uh, receive the necessary documents to evaluate their uh, options. And then they need to make an appointment and schedule time to go into the office and to execute the necessary decisions. Uh, producers are going to have decisions regarding updating uh, seed cotton yields should they establish a seed cotton base. They're going to have the opportunity to uh, reestablish seed cotton as a new base where they had generic acres, or maybe to take the option that allows them to redistribute that generic base as other covered commodities. But there are two or three decisions that are necessary and need to be made by December 7th. Louisiana Farm Service Agency Director Craig McCain. A popular marketing tool in the vegetable industry has the Louisiana rice industry upset. Don Molino reports the rice folks want to set the record straight. Catherine Faye Duncan from Crowley, the 81st International Rice Festival Queen, asked the question, when is rice not rice? When it's a vegetable that has been riced, there is a kitchen tool called a ricer, and it grinds up whatever you put in it and turns it into crumbles, and that's fine. If you want to eat cauliflower crumbles or broccoli crumbles, hey, good luck to you. But we have a problem when these crumbles try to pretend they are rice. Some companies are marketing what they call cauliflower rice, and it isn't rice. And when we think it's creating consumer confusion, and we are opposed to it. The veggie crumbles are sometimes packaged in ready-to-heat packs that look like rice microwavable packages. And sometimes it's in freezer aisle right next to the package that is actual rice and meat vegetables. A consumer could easily grab the wrong package and think they are getting delicious Louisiana-grown rice and instead they're getting chopped up cauliflower. We don't want consumers to purchase rice being tricked into buying not rice. We are asking the U.S. Food and Drug Administration to look at the definition for rice, its food identity. If you can believe it, there isn't a U.S. government definition of rice. There's one for pasta, milk, potato chips, and even frozen cherry pie, and thousands of other food. 
but not one for rice. But we'd like for them to do something so that we can defend our crop in the marketplace. We may also ask the Federal Trade Commission to look into what may be deceptive or misleading advertising and marketing designed to create consumer confusion. I'm Don Molino on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. That is a look at some of the latest news headlines in Louisiana agriculture. Don't forget you can always stay up to date on everything happening in Louisiana agriculture by checking out our website, voiceoflaag.org. Voiceoflaag.org. We update that every weekday with all all of the latest news and happenings in Louisiana agriculture. And while you're there, don't forget to subscribe to our daily e-newsletter. It's called The Daily Voice. There's a big button right there on the homepage at voiceoflaag.org. Click on that button, enter your name and email address, and then each weekday morning at 5 a.m., we'll send you The Daily Voice right to your inbox with all the latest happenings in agriculture in our state. Coming up next, it's time to check out the halls of government in grassroots government. This week, we check in with Louisiana Congressman Garrett Graves. That's coming up next on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. This is Trace Atkins for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. If you're a farmer or rancher, Farm Bureau wants you to join and be a part of their family. I grew up in Louisiana farm country, and I know all the hard work and sacrifice that you put into raising livestock, growing a crop, raising a family, and running a farm. Farm Bureau puts that same hard work and sacrifice into making life better for you and your family, so join today. The Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. It's time for a look inside the halls of government in this week's edition of Grassroots Government on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. On Grassroots Government this week, we visit with Louisiana 6th District Congressman Garrett Graves. We caught up with Congressman Graves down at Raceland Sugars a couple of weeks ago while Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue was there touring that sugar mill and visiting with Louisiana farmers. He said it was a very big deal to have the United States Secretary of Agriculture in Louisiana. Uh, it's, it's been great. As a matter of fact, he's going to end up spending two full days uh, traveling around South Louisiana, talking to our farmers, talking to some of our end users, looking at the supply chain, looking at the shipping routes, looking at our research stations and research capabilities here, and really bringing back to Washington what he's hearing and finding on the ground in terms of uh, improvements to policies that are needed just to continue the success and future of our farms. What's been his reaction? Has he been receptive to what he's been hearing today? I think he has. Number one, I think he's been impressed with some of the technology and some of the changes and evolution in the industry. Uh, Number two, I think some of the ideas that he's hearing from some of the farmers uh, are things that are really resonating with him, understanding that we need to work to diversify markets as we have some of these trade disagreements and, and, and push some of these other countries, push back on some of these other countries that have been taking advantage of the United States, making sure that we have a ru- appropriate mitigation strategies in place, finding new markets for our ag products, making sure that we have the right mitigation strategies in place. Uh, so very receptive to what he's hearing on the ground. Sugarcane is a very big industry in your district. I know that you were very involved during the Farm Bill debate in helping to protect 
the U.S. sugar program. It's very important to what our farmers do. It is, and, and as we were just discussing, it's it's not just about the, 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 the way that we treat sugar in the farm bill. It's also about how the administration enforces infractions or enforces uh, situations when other countries are dumping or subsidizing sugar on U.S. markets. So we have seen a pretty big shift in that early on in this administration, many of the agencies came in and pushed back on unfair trade practices by other countries. They pushed back on violations by other countries and have been ensuring that American farmers are simply being given a fair shot. Sugarcane farmers are also soybean farmers. A lot of them plant soybeans on their fallow ground. This has not been a good year for growing soybeans. We've had all kind of trouble with finding a home for damaged soybeans because of all the rain. I know the secretary heard from soybean farmers today. What was his response to helping this bad soybean situation we have in Louisiana? Yeah. Well, well, sure. So we were talking about some different insurance options. We were talking about disaster assistance. Uh, well, I certainly wouldn't wish a disaster upon anyone. Uh, the, the fact that there was Hurricane Florence and Hurricane Michael, it's likely that Congress is going to end up doing a disaster appropriations bill, which would give us a vehicle to help provide uh, some assistance for uh, those that have had some impact uh, as a result of the bean crops this year. And of course, uh, not just the bean crops, but also uh, some of the bean markets with some of the China uh, tariff situation going on now. Some of our end users or some of our destinations have, uh, have been challenged a little bit this year. So all that is being looked at kind of globally and what type of, of remedy we should be bringing to the table. Congressman Garrett Graves, thanks so much for your hey, time. I appreciate you it. Take care. Thank you. Coming up next, we go in the field to visit with Evangeline Parish farmer Richard Fontenot. Richard gives us an update on the dire situation he's facing with his soybean crop. That's next on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. This is Trace Atkins for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Louisiana farmers and ranchers dedicate their lives to producing the food we eat and the clothes we wear. Agriculture touches all of us every time we sit down at the table. So support Louisiana agriculture by joining Farm Bureau. And you don't have to be a farmer to join. If you're already a member, we thank you. Your membership supports farmers and ranchers right here in your local community. The Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. We're taking you to the fields of Louisiana as we hear from one of you in the field on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. We're in the field today to talk with Richard Fontenot. Richard is a farmer from Evangeline Parish. Uh, Richard, I wanted to get an update from you today on the situation on your farm. You and I visited back in the summer. I came out and you were planting soybeans when I was there. Little did we know that that soybean crop was going to turn into a real disaster. Just give me an update on how things are on your place. Hey, Kerry, um, not unlike many producers in my area in the southwest part of the state, we had a perfect storm uh, that really decimated our production opportunities this year in the soybean crop. Uh, today we have a, a shredder shredding about 1,000 acres of unharvestable beans that uh, we couldn't take to market. The damage levels were too high. Uh, with some of the trade barriers and the limitations that we have in terms of sales and the damage limits that some of the commercial elevators have, we, we had a product we couldn't bring to market, and uh, unfortunately, we had to leave a lot of acres in the field. Uh, today, I'm, I'm estimating in the Vaginal Parish, we're probably about 60 65% of the crop 
soybean crop that is, is still going to be left in the field and won't be taken to harvest. Today you had the opportunity to visit with the United States Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue. What did you tell him? What did you hear from him? We shared the story with Sonny and some of the, 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 the dire straits that we're in in that part of the state and as well as other areas in terms of, of trying to get crop out the field. He was very, uh, I appreciate his candor and his honesty uh, in sharing with us what he can and can't do. Uh, there's some attempts. Uh, he did commit to us that he's going to do some things with the help of some congressional leadership, hopefully, and, and some type of ad hoc or some other type of measure. Uh, but it's too early to tell, but they are aware of what's going on out there and they're doing everything they can to try to give us a hand. Well, Richard, I've been in this business a long time. I hate doing interviews like this, talking about uh, friends of mine who are hurting. I know that you have neighbors who are hurting. How bad is this going to be? Do you have neighbors that won't be farming next year? You know, you, it, you, talk, to, I, you talk to producers in the central part of the state on down that, that have really dynamic, especially those that are monoculture in terms of, of soybeans as a, or, or grain as their main commodities. In my area, we typically have a multiple rice or soybean or crawfish rotations. Those guys that are relying mainly on the soybean acreage, they're going to, they're dire straits coming into the, the, the crop year because of market conditions. But this is going to really put some folks at, 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 in a bad situation coming up for the next crop loan and be very questionable whether the funding will be available for those guys to produce another year. In the field this week with Evangeline Parish farmer Richard Fontenot. Coming up next, it's time to take a look at the markets. Greg Fox and Dave Foster are standing by with a look at the grain and cattle markets. That's next on The Voice of Louisiana Agriculture Podcast. This is Trace Atkins for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Believe it or not, your food doesn't come from the grocery store. It just may have been grown on a farm right here in Louisiana. And those jeans you're wearing may have come from a Louisiana cotton farm. Louisiana's farmers and ranchers take pride in producing the food and fiber that we all use in our daily lives. So each time you sit down to a meal or get dressed for the day, thank a Louisiana farmer or rancher. The Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. Now let's look at the markets with insight from the experts at the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. To talk about the markets, we go to Greg Fox. He's a grain marketing specialist with the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association. Greg, what kind of week have we had in the soybean market? Mostly down, uh, not a whole lot of fresh news going into this week. Um, although today looks like we're going to close on an up day, uh, which is Kind of not surprising, you know. We went from around, you know, 860 uh, all the way down to 840, and you know, 840 was a decent support level. A lot of folks felt like so. Uh, seeing a little bounce today wasn't surprising. Well, the corn market uh, saw a little bit of strength to wrap up the week too. Uh, what's been going on in the corn market? We're seeing some competitive in the competitiveness in the world market for U.S. corn. Um, we got a lot of it. Uh, it's fairly cheap right now, and so you're seeing some of that go out. Uh, exports look beneficial on the corn side, uh, so we could potentially see a little bit more down the road. Um, so uh, that's a little bit of encouraging. 
Um, but it's real tough for corn to get any sustained rallies when beans are kind of dragging them down. Well, Greg, I know it's been a disastrous fall for a lot of soybean producers out there, a lot of your customers. Uh, what's the latest on that situation here in Louisiana with the soybeans? Uh, not much has really changed. You know, still elevators have limits or they're not buying any new bushels. Uh, so it's still tough to get some of that uh, delivered. We have seen some limits adjusted to try to take in more grain at different times if they've had a boat at the dock or something of that nature. Um, but overall, you know, guys are still trying to get a few bushels out of the fields and still either trying to find home for stuff in the bins or just waiting it out until we potentially get these damage limits lifted. But I don't see that happening anytime soon. We're still looking at a situation where everything is backed up all over the country? Yeah, we are starting to see some some stuff come down river, some quality stuff come come down river, but it's still a little bit hit and miss, and it's not quite at the volume that we've seen in years past. And then, of course, you know, we just don't have the volume export business at the ports either. We are still seeing bean boats show up, corn boats show up, um, but we don't have the consistency of the bean boats showing up back-to-back that we had in years past. So it's still slow. Greg Fox with the Louisiana Farm Bureau Marketing Association. Thanks a lot, Greg. Yes, sir. Now let's switch gears and talk about the cattle market. We've got Dave Foster joining us with Cattle Producers of Louisiana. Hey, Carrie, how you doing? Doing fine. How about you? So far, so good. Well, Dave, let's get an update on these cattle markets. What have you been seeing here over the last couple of weeks? Well, I'll tell you, we're uh, those of us in in this area that uh, marketed uh, our calves. When I say earlier, earlier than uh, mid October, we uh, we were doing good. We're right in the, just kind of in the middle of uh, everybody in the world now is uh, is is selling their calves, and so uh, this uh, calf market is. Uh, a little bit depressed when you get up over those five-way cattle and into that area. But the lucky thing for us is that we're still, uh, the bulk of our cattle weigh, uh, weigh less than 600 pounds, and then a lot of our cattle weigh in that three and four weights that are coming to market. So there's still a demand for those. We, we had a weather market uh, a week or so ago with all that rain and cold weather and and they really weren't, uh, the buyers really weren't wanting to, to take uh, delivery of those cattle and trying to get them straightened out, especially those balling calves. So what we're faced with right now, Kerry, basically is, is a situation where we have uh, kind of a two-tier market. The, the, the good, hard kind of calves, either they've been weaned or some kind of a health program, uh, they're, they're still bringing pretty good money but these fleshy balling kind of calves they're they're being discounted uh oh 10 to 15 dollars a hundred uh for sure uh, along those lines with that and so that's the situation that we're that we're kind of into now the good thing for us here is the bulk of our our uh, our calves have been marketed and so uh this week was a pretty a pretty good week uh volume wise throughout the uh Throughout the week, because of our weather last week and everything, we had an uptick in the receipts here along. And so, uh, but I think that that this probably was for us the last hurrah. And now it'll probably the receipts in the local auction markets will kind of 
go south a little bit, um, and and that that will be a a time when we can kind of look back and reflect. But the cow market, it's it too has had a situation where I think a lot of it had to do with numbers as well. We've had lots of numbers, so prices have been discounted. Uh, then you get into the later part of the week, midweek for us here, uh, and and uh, if anybody hadn't gotten the Packers hadn't gotten the, the cows, they jump in and try to uh, fill that that order out. So that's kind of been a little bit spotty as well. Uh, and uh, the thing to look for us to be looking at now is in, uh, in the end of this month and into November, we've got some replacement uh, cattle uh, sales at the local auctions that they're featuring, and we'll see how that market's coming along and if there's still demand out there. Uh, we've got a situation that's a little bit scary for a lot of us with uh, the hay situation. Uh, many of the folks are wondering, do I have enough hay? I don't have enough hay. What can I do with this? Uh, people are busy now trying to plant ryegrass, and so uh, we're kind of in an influx right now, but in a couple of weeks or so, we'll have all that behind us, and then we'll be able to see kind of where we're headed. Uh, this fat cattle market, it, it, it has all the fundamentals uh, to be higher, and we've, we've been basically steady for three weeks. Uh, this week, everybody was hoping we'd get a little higher, and early in the week, uh, we had some cattle bring a dollar twelve compared to a dollar ten and eleven last week, but not a lot of cattle moved, and so everybody's waiting for Friday uh, to see what will happen and uh, what that fat cattle market will bring. But it sure should fundamentally it should be higher because uh, the meat's been moving uh, through the retail change. Demand is good. Exports are up. Uh, all of these things are saying that, hey, uh, this old fat cattle market ought to get a little higher. And uh, I think the Packers uh, figured this out a month ago. And so they were they were buying cattle with uh, two to four week delivery time on it, which was kind of a captive supply, for lack of a better term. And so they're, you know, they're able to manage uh, their getting into the to the cash market. Uh, and so uh, we've got these factors that are out there. But again, uh, the feedlots—they're—they're uh, they're very, very current. We—we we should have an uptick in that market, and that market should get higher. And and then I think that uh, everything else will fall in place. But for us here in Louisiana, and certainly the rest of the Southeast, we're about over as far as the bigger runs. We're going to have some cattle moving, but. Uh, the thing that people need to know now, if you haven't sold your cows, your cold cows that you wanted to go, you better be thinking about uh, maybe I can hold these over, rough them through the winter, and uh, market them maybe in February and, and March when that market uh, gets a little bit higher. And, and if they don't have the hay, don't have the feed stuff uh, to get through that, then you just better carry them jokers to town and get it over with. So that's kind of where we are. Dave Foster, CEO of Cattle Producers of Louisiana. Thanks a lot, Dave. All right. Thank you, Kerry. What is happening in Louisiana agriculture? Well, let's take a look at the calendar and find out. That's coming up next. We'll look at the Louisiana Ag Calendar on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast.
This is Trace Atkins for the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. Growing up in Sarepta, I could see the value of agriculture every time I left the house. Whether it was timber going to the paper mill or cattle in a pasture, I knew the farmers, ranchers, and landowners were keeping my hometown on the map. And the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation helps keep them in business. So join the Farm Bureau today. Become a member at lafarmbureau.org or call your parish Farm Bureau office. The Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. Now to wrap up this week's podcast, let's take a look at what's coming up this week on the Louisiana Ag Calendar. Well, this is a very quiet week in Louisiana agriculture. We don't have any events on our Louisiana Ag Calendar for the coming week. If we peek into next week, we do have one event coming up, and that will be on Wednesday, November the 7th. The Louisiana Farm Bureau Women's Leadership Committee is kicking off their holiday veterans' home projects. They visit the veterans' homes all over the state of Louisiana and bring them lots of gifts and things that they need going into the holidays. It's just a community community service project, but a very worthy one by the Louisiana Farm Bureau Women's Leadership Committee. On the 7th of November, they're going to the Veterans Home in Reserve, Louisiana, and they have several more of these coming up over the months of November and December. Well, as I said, it's a quiet week, so that will wrap up Episode 20 of the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. Remember, you can always follow us on social media. We're on both Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is at Voice of LA Ag. Check in with us there and be sure to keep updated on all the happenings in Louisiana agriculture. We'll see you next time right here on the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Thanks for listening to the Voice of Louisiana Agriculture podcast. Join us again next week. This podcast is produced by Carrie Martin and the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation. For more information, be sure to check out our website, voiceoflouisianaagriculture.org and lafarmbureau.org.